All right, we are actually going to get back to Psalms today, and we're actually going to do three Psalms, so we've got some volume to get through today. Let me just ask you as we start, anybody here carry something in with you? And I don't mean, you know, a bag. I'm saying life. Anybody carry some life in with them today? Something heavy on your shoulders? Anybody? Just if you could raise your hand for me for a second, and everybody can look around. All right, so you walked in this morning thinking, man, life's heavy. Why has everybody else got it all together? See all the hands? Life's heavy all around, okay? So that's kind of what we're going to get at today. Now, I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you're aware of this. If this is public service, in case you didn't, um, the Super Bowl was last weekend. <laughs> Super Bowl's a good game. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? Super Bowl. Oh, and by the way, the, the Eagles were in it. And they won. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible... Sorry, Pam. We love you. We love you. Um, here's the thing. I have rooted for that team my whole life, as many of you have. And the last two times they went to the Super Bowl, it was bitterly disappointing. What, first one was when I was 12 years old. And I really believed with all my heart they were going to win, as only a 12-year-old boy can be fully convinced that they are going to win. And I mean, Jim Plunkett, come on, yeah, right? Yeah. right? Okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> the next time that, that we, they went was really in the very first months of our church, and I believed that we were doing God's work, so clearly they're going to win, and they did not. Uh, and then so, you know, our family is not really uh, quiet and reserved, <laughs> So as the game went on and, and, you know, it was a very emotionally intense thing and there was a lot of shouting and, and loud noises in my house, um, you know, your heart starts to beat faster and, and you feel the stress. There are times where you can't even sit down and you're, you're kind of walking around the room and pacing and, and when the game is finally over, you can barely believe that the Eagles had won. But you know what was weird? I noticed this about the third quarter. Right next to me on the couch in a little bed was my dog, Chloe. And she was kind of halfway sleeping. She didn't care at all. I mean, I, I know you're, you're like stunned into silence. She didn't care. She, like, we were like fourth downs and, you know, touchdown, turnover. She didn't care. She was just laying there. Now, every now and then when we got really loud, she would get up and bark at us like, trying to sleep here. She just literally didn't root at all for the Eagles to win the game. It's like she didn't even know there was such a thing as a Super Bowl. It's like she didn't get it at all. And the reason I mention that is because believers, we live around a bunch of people that confront us with that same shocking reality. We live with people who don't get it. And it'd be like trying to explain the Super Bowl and all the fun of it to Chloe. She's just like, are you going to yell at me or give me a treat? What you, I don't understand what's going on here. 
We live around people, whether tomorrow you get up and you go to school or you go to work or later on today you, you, you bump into some family members or some friends. People who just don't understand. They don't get it. They don't understand that there's hope. They don't understand or believe that there's more than this life, that you can have peace that goes beyond understanding. It bounces off of them. They, and so no more than Chloe could understand why we were all going crazy, they don't understand what we know, what we're so sure of, what we're so firm in, what changes our life. And so we're going to talk today about how God is our refuge. And there are people in your life that will look at you like you are nuts if you talk about how trusting the Lord gives you peace. Even sometimes believers, believers who have adopted a, a mindset of the here and now will look at you like, yeah, well, that's all well and good but you still have to kind of worry about stuff. You still have to kind of handle stuff and make sure everything's the way it's supposed to be. So we're going to read three Psalms that David wrote. Psalm 11, Psalm 12, and Psalm 13. And in these three Psalms, what we have are three different descriptions about these moments where people, specifically David, needed refuge. You probably have a lot of moments during any given week, during any moment of your life where you need refuge. Sometimes it's because you are running so fast in your life that you just are worn out and you just need a break. You need refuge. Sometimes it's because fear has boxed you into a corner and you are so overwhelmed with what could happen, with what looks like it's going to happen, with what might happen, that you can hardly move because fear has trapped you. Sometimes you need refuge because you've blown it. You have failed. You have made a mess. You are ashamed of yourself. You are overwhelmed at the fallout of the decisions and choices you've made. And sometimes you need refuge because other people have failed you. And the fallout of their failure has poured out on your life. I'm asking you today if you believe what David believes, that God is our refuge. These three Psalms are three different approaches, three different angles at the same topic about finding refuge, shelter in Almighty God. One of the great privileges we have as the people of God is that others have gone before us and walked this journey. We don't have to create it from scratch. As a matter of fact, God made sure that he wrote down a bunch of their experiences and thoughts through the inspiration of the Spirit so you could have them, so you could learn from them, so you don't have to start at ground zero over and over again. And so the words that we read today, the Holy Spirit found them so important that he inspired David to write them down, to make sure they were accurate, and to save them for us for about 3,000 years. So maybe they're worth our time to dig into and to read. Maybe they will help us. And I don't know which of these Psalms would be the most meaningful to you, the most applicable to you, but let's dig in, let's dive in to how David describes God as his refuge. So we're just going to read each one in full. So Psalm 11 is where we're going to start. We'll just read this through in full, and, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. It says this, In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, He hates with a passion. On the wicked, He will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice, and the upright will see His face. I don't know about you, but I probably don't, after reading that, I probably don't want to be the wicked. I probably want to be the righteous. David opens this psalm with a, with a declaration and really a challenge. He says, in the Lord I take refuge. He talks about a choice that he makes. And the declaration that he makes is a challenge to us. Where do you take refuge? What I mean is, when things are hard, When life feels heavy, when it feels like it's caving in on you, where do you go to find safety, relief, help, strength? Where do you go? Most of us, humanly speaking, are wired to say, what can I do about this? Who can I call? What's in my bank account? What doctor do I know? How can I fix this? That's where we go first. For a lot of us, if we're really honest, we don't get to God as our refuge until we've exhausted all the things that we can do. David says, God is my refuge. Now, people around David are saying, run, hide. They are saying, you've got to get to a mountain. You've got to find a hiding place. You've got to find a strong place. You you need to be full of fear. You need to be hopeless. And life does that to you. Life will show up later on today. Life will show up tomorrow and say... Scared, be scared, run in fear, run and hide. Too many things could happen. Too many bad things are on their way for you. What you'll notice is that times where we need refuge are always connected to what we see and what we understand. What's in front of us physically and humanly. What we can confirm through our experience or our logic, that's when we need refuge. When life convinces us that there is no rescue, that there is no hope. Don't underestimate how powerful hope is in your life. Because I will tell you, I've talked with people, some of you, when the point comes that you are hopeless, it feels pointless. There's not, if there's nothing that can fix it, if there's nothing that can make it better, then what's the point of even trying? What's the point of even living? It gets dark, real dark, without hope. And so people around are saying to David, you've got to run. You're in danger. And the fear peddlers will always tell you to run. They will always find reasons that you are in danger. And he says, they tell me to look at the arrows being pulled back and aimed at me. The world is collapsing around you. It's never going to be the same. It's going to get worse and worse. There's no hope for you. Do you hear those voices in your life? When we look at the evil in our world, when we look at the way that people fall and fail, do we believe what these people are saying to David, that life is hopeless, 
that there is no refuge, that there is no shelter, that there is no hope, that there is no place to hide. And in this little phrase that they give David, it's kind of this mocking tone, uh, flee like a bird to your mountain. It's kind of like, oh, little birdie needs to get safe. Oh, run away, little birdie to a mountain. Find some. It's kind of that. It's a mocking tone of how helpless and weak that you are. And so when you hear people telling you to run, when the voices inside of you talk to you about things to be afraid of, and you feel like running and hiding, maybe the real question for you, the real question of faith is, where do you run? The world will give you mountains to run to. Things that look like safe places, things that sound like safe places. And you can run to them. You can run to achievement and performance. Oh, I've done so much. I'm safe. Everything's good. I've taken care of it all. Nobody can knock me off of my pedestal because I've achieved, because I've performed, because when I compare myself to someone else, I'm better. You can run to approval and relationships. Well, this person likes me and that person thinks I'm doing the right thing. That can feel like a mountain. I'm safe as long as everybody likes me. You know, from high school and middle school all the way on, you can feel like if people like me, I must be doing okay. You can run to substances or escaping behaviors like pornography or gambling because they seem to bring relief. They seem to bring escape even as they trap you. You can run to isolation. Well, I'll be safe if I've got thick walls around me and nobody can touch me. You can even run to lies. Saying things that aren't true so that people will believe things that you want them to believe so you can control what they do or what they think. All of these mountains are places we run to to try to limit danger in our power, to try to quiet fear by what we can do. But here's the thing. A believer has an actual refuge. Not a false and betraying one. We have an actual refuge, a shelter to run to in times of trouble. Do we? David says, God is my refuge. And it's a statement that they don't get. And David believes it so much. I don't know if you saw this in the first verse here. He says, in the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me? Like, I, God is my refuge. Of course he is. Why would you tell me to go run? I have a refuge. It's, he's talking to people that just don't get it. And he gets it so much that he doesn't even know how to explain it to them. He's just like, how can you say that to me? Because I've taken refuge in God. Since God is my refuge, I am safe. They don't see God. They don't believe. And so it just sounds like words to them. It just sounds like hopes and wishes and dreams. But to David, it's so real. He can't imagine how they can say what they do. So I'm asking us, is our confidence in our refuge as strong as David's? That when everybody can point out all the dangers around your life, you're like, how can you point out danger that's so small compared to my God? Do you actually believe God's got this? Do you believe that he's working out his purpose and his will and his plan and that nothing can stop him? Do you believe that? Or is that just a theory that you like to put off for when we sing on Sunday morning? And when it comes to real life, what I like to act like is, oh no, God needs me to tell him what to do. He might have missed something. I need to keep him up to date on his task list. 
of things that need to happen in order for me to be safe. Does that describe your prayer life too? Oh Lord, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm in trouble. And I don't know if you know, but you should do this and this and this, and then I'll be okay. Is God my refuge or my tool? Is God someone I run to, run into, or is God someone I try to use for my will and my purpose? God's people have a refuge. And, and the David in, in verse 4 turns to this refuge and he says, this is why I don't fear, because the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. God rules and reigns and misses nothing. What do you see when you look up to your Lord? Do you see a God far away? Do you see a God unconcerned? Or do you see a refuge and a strength? Do you see someone you can trust? Or do you see someone that you're not even sure he cares about you? David says, I believe that my God is king and judge and everyone will answer to him. All those who choose to rebel and do evil will answer to him. Maybe not today and maybe not tomorrow, but when it all comes out, God will be right. And God will rule and no one can stop him and no one can defeat him. Because God sees what they do. God's not missing it. By the way, God sees what you do too. He examines it, he says. He will look at it carefully and know the end from the beginning and the motivations and the intentions that are inside of you. And he not only sees what you do, he sees the fallout of what you do. And and David says, judgment is coming on those who are wicked. And it is awful judgment. And he describes it in very poetic terms, pouring out fiery coals and sulfur and a scorching wind. God will judge those who do wrong. Because God sees what they do. God knows what they do. And so trusting the Lord, running to your refuge is not a passive thing. Sometimes I think when we talk about there's a storm in your life and what are you going to do? You're going to run to your refuge. We think of it as a passive thing like we just kind of cower inside of God or whatever. And I don't know how to do that. Do you know how to cower inside of God? I don't know how to do that. It is much more what David does in the psalm, which is an active choice. So when life is crushing in on you, when you need refuge, the discourse that you need to choose, just like David says, I take refuge in him, is that I will turn away from what I see and hear, from all of the reasons, humanly speaking, that I could be afraid, that I should run, that I should look for the nearest mountain. I will turn away from that, and I will turn my eyes to my Lord. And I will say something like, Lord, I trust you. I trust you and I'm turning this over to you and knowing that you see and you care and you will work. And I am going to bet my life on that. That's how you find refuge. You don't find refuge by praying and crossing your fingers and hoping God does what you asked. You find refuge by saying, God, you've got it. I know you do. You see it. I know you do. And you're taking care of it. I know you will. So I'm okay. That's refuge. So that's chapter 11 of Psalms. Now let's go to 12, because a different way of looking at the same kind of topic. Chapter 12, David says this. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. 
Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say our tongues, by our tongues we will prevail, by our own lips we will be defended. Who is Lord over us? Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe. You will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. Does that sound pretty descriptive of our world today? What is vile is honored by the human race. And even in the beginning, no one is faithful and everyone lies to their neighbor. Do you live in this world? So here we are with, with David 3,000 years ago living this. I feel like he's writing about my life. So I can identify with this need for respite. There's a hopelessness that comes when you say no one is faithful. This psalm is about the words of people. Trustworthy words and unreliable words. Some of the way that our life gets hard to handle is that people around us are not trustworthy. They say one thing, then they tell someone else something different. I'm sure none of you have ever had that happen to you. But sometimes people tell you one thing and tell somebody else something different. And it can feel deeply betraying and wounding. People lie, slander, steal, betray one another all the time. And because of that, marriages are broken. There's fallout. Because of that, trusted adults abuse children. Because of that, corporate leaders steal from their workers and from the company. And people who we elect to office, power brokers in Washington and other places, make promises that they never even try to keep. Because people lie. People's words are untrustworthy. So David says, help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. They have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. No one is faithful. Everyone, why does everyone lie? Because they're out for themselves. Everyone is ready to take advantage of some weakness or some vulnerability in someone else. They are ready to use any power that they have, any resource they have for selfish ends. Ready to take advantage of trust. Ready to take advantage of dependence. Ready to act selfishly at any opportunity. And that can make you feel like you're in danger. You need refuge. You need someone to come to your rescue. David says they flatter. Literally, the words there are they are a smooth dare talker whose words smooth things out. The, you know, you listen to them and, and you like what they say because it sounds good, but what they say and what they mean aren't the, same, aren't the same thing. Then David says they harbor deception in their hearts. It's a really interesting Hebrew term. It really means double-hearted or literally with a heart and a heart. They harbor deception in their hearts. The idea is they have a couple different hearts. And one of them is one they put on display to you, but the other one is the one that actually drives their actions. And they hide that one from you, and they put on display the heart that they want you to see, the thing they want you to believe. And so this is a prayer for God to silence those who are unfaithful in their words, to stop them from deceiving us. Now, I don't know if your life is like this or not, but I'm going to tell you my struggle in this. 
My struggle with people with unfaithful words is setting the record straight. How about you? You know what that tells me? I have a struggle trusting God with them. Because I want to set the record straight for them. Now, I'm not saying there are some times where discussion can bring understanding and all that stuff, but there are people in my life that I have discussed and discussed and discussed and discussed things with them, and we never get it settled. But I can't let them say something because they, I have to set the record straight. I have to make sure everybody knows that I was right. That's not what I meant. That's not what I did. And you know what that does? That brings unrest to my soul because I'm not actually trusting the Lord there. David says, God, you silence their mouths. You hold them to account. Are there people in your life that are creating unrest in your soul because you're worried about what they're saying and that people might think that they're right or that they're saying stuff about you or to you or whatever and you know it's wrong and so it just stirs you up? Are you going to find refuge in God? Or are you going to find refuge in trying to set the record straight? And there's an element of boasting in these people. You know, the, the, their tongues say, you know, we can do whatever we want. Who's going to stop us? The wicked are in denial. They're in denial about the evil of their intentions and their actions, but they're also in denial about the larger truth that God reigns and God sees. And so God knows what they're doing. They're version of reality will not stand in the presence of Almighty God. Am I content to leave it with Him? Or do I constantly have to try to fix it myself? This is why we don't go to God as our refuge. Because going to God as our refuge sometimes means letting go of things we wish were different. Trusting Him to take care of when things should change and how things should change. So we give up peace in our souls and we give up rest in our souls so that we can say, but I know a better way. And we live worn out and we live beat up because we just won't let go. And what that says underneath of it all is we just don't trust God. Sometimes we live like God is not God, like God is not faithful. We just sang today that you are not against us, you are for us. Do I believe that? And if I do, how does that show up when the world crashes in on me and, and it feels like all hope is lost? Do I trust God? Do I believe that he's for me and not against me? Can I throw myself in his hands or do I have to try to make sure things are the way I think things should be? So David says, God, you deal with them. You show them you reign. As a matter of fact, in, in this psalm, David's attention is grabbed in injustice because he talks about the needy. And people around him are maligning the needy, saying, those people are, are lower than us. Those people are worse off than us. Now, I'm not sure if you ever come across someone who talks about needy people in negative terms. I think if you've ever witnessed an election in America, you've probably come across some people who talk about needy people in very negative terms. And, and I'm saying this kind of challenges you, doesn't it? God, David says, God is on their side. And God is against those who malign the needy. Does that challenge you? Pro- and I'm not saying Proverbs makes it very clear. God doesn't honor the lazy and you know, people are given opportunity. That's provision of God. So we're not talking about you know, someone's poor because they've just thrown away the provision of God over and over again and whatever. We're not talking about that. 
But I think we all know better. We all know that in, in every age, there are multitudes of people who find themselves born into poverty or fall into it by some circumstances, even by their own mistakes. And what this says is God cares about them. Even to the degree that God cares about people who talk negatively about them. So if we're the people of God, what should our heart be for the needy? Should we feel boastful? I think there was a boastful tongue in here. Is that the godly one? No. And so sometimes we take a position that is in opposition to what God's heart is, and it causes unrest. causes us to not find the shelter that we need. God's words are pure. We can know that God will keep his word, that while everyone else lies and everyone else is selfish, God does not lie, and God is loving towards us and selfless. The pictures that are given here are not just precious metal, gold and silver, but they are meticulously purified precious metal, the most precious substance on earth known at the time. It says God's promises to you, God's words to you are incomparable with any other words you've ever heard. So God's words are trustworthy in an untrustworthy world. Will you trust the words of God? It's how you find peace anyway. When culture around you honors what is wrong, you know, the vi- what is vile is honored by the human race. When, when culture honors what is wrong, it reminds you not to put your hope or your trust in the culture to tell you the truth. Some of you want the culture to tell you what attractive is. Some of you want the culture to tell you what successful is. But here's what David says. They're all liars and unfaithful, and selfish. So you can't go to them to find something reliable to build your life on. Where are you going to go to build your identity? you got to go to the one whose words are faithful, the one whose words are true, the one whose words are pure, the one who doesn't lie, the one who always says exactly what's right. You've got to find refuge in the words of God. So God's words are the ones you have to embrace and hold dear. So so refuge is found in believing God's words and God's promises. Do we? Last Psalm, real quick. Psalm 13 says this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Last song, real quick. Song about when God seems to be waiting too long. When, when things feel like the clock is ticking and, and there's a moment where God has to show up or it's too late. And I just, just like David, how long, how long, how long, how long? Four times in, three, in, in two verses, four times, how long? The intensifying of, I'm waiting, I'm hanging on this. It feels like the time has gone by and now it's going to be too late in just a second. One of the things you can know by that is, this is inspired 
The Spirit inspired David to write this. So David asks God some very challenging, even almost accusatory questions. That means it's okay. It's okay to go to God and ask some questions like that. It's not where David stays and it's not where we should stay, but it's okay. God can handle it when you go to God and say, uh, what are you doing? This is not looking good. God can handle it. And so throughout the story of God's word, we find men asking God questions, honest, hard questions. Then David says this, God, unless you answer me, I will be destroyed. My enemies will look on me and, and have overcome me and rejoice when I fall. Unless you answer me, Lord, I'm doomed. Do you believe that God's answer is the only hope for your life? Your prayer life will reflect that. Your time in the Word of God will reflect whether you believe God's answer is the only one that saves you. And if you really believe that, it settles out a lot of the stuff that's on your mind, doesn't it? A lot of the things that are on your radar that you've got to manage and keep track of if God's answer is the only one. Now, In this psalm, God never answers. In this psalm, God never answers. David starts off with, how long will you forget me? How long won't you answer me? God, I'm desperate. If you don't answer me, I'm going to die. And God never answers. But David already has the answer. Did you see it? Last couple verses. But I trust. But I trust. You haven't answered but I trust in what your unfailing love. Does God love fail you? Can you go back in your life and look at instance after instance where God's love just failed? Oh yeah. Keep, keep, keep a journal of that. You, you need a really thick notebook for that one. David says, God, I know you. I've walked with you and I know this, your love never fails. Because of that, I trust in your unfailing love. Even though you haven't answered me yet, I'm not even needing your answer because it's clearly not time. I trust in your unfailing love. Then he says, I rejoice in your salvation. You know what I remember about your unfailing love? That my God saves. That that's what he does. And because my God saves, I'm not worried about it. As a matter of fact, he says, I will sing. I will sing. Sometimes what we did this morning, sometimes what you do when you come together at church is you remind yourself of things you already know. You remind yourself that God can be trusted. You remind yourself that God's love is unfailing. You remind yourself as we sing together that you can find refuge in God even when he doesn't answer you. Because although at times it feels like God is late and God has not come through and God is hanging back and he's not hearing, you can know for sure as we sing together that God's love never fails and I'm safe when I trust him. Beyond what I see, beyond what I feel, beyond what I understand, I am safe when I find refuge in God. We're going to close today with a song that just kind of reflects that. Uh, back to each one of us and, and gives us that opportunity to process this before we walk out and rise to meet the challenge of finding refuge in our God. Refuge in this, in this psalm is remembering that God is always on time, that His love is unfailing, and that our God is a saving God. So I invite you today to have faith. 
I invite you today to find refuge through faith, to let go of all other things that have been stressing you out. Not that there's not work to do, but your hope is not in those things. Do you know firsthand what it feels like to have God as your refuge? Wouldn't it be cool if this week, you walked through this week with God as your refuge? When so much of what we hear is untrustworthy, do you know where to find trustworthy words? Is God your hiding place? Your first hiding place? Your only hiding place? And if He is, are you really, literally safe with Him? Let's find refuge. Take refuge in our Lord.